Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Only in Rugby League podcast with me, Callan. And me, Andy. And also somebody who's an absolute, not just a St. Helens legend or whatever you want to say, a rugby league legend. Uh, we've got somebody today that's played nearly 500 games in England and Australia, uh, a plethora of clubs, over 300 games as a coach, uh, a Scotland international. We're delighted to have with us today on our This Is Your Live section for our special, uh, a massive welcome to Phil Vivers. Phil, how are you doing? Yeah, morning, guys. How are we? Yeah, great. Yeah, very well, thank where, you. Where do, we find, good. where do we find you this morning, Phil? Oh, just in my house at the moment, day off today, so got a few little odds and ends that I need to do today after I get off here, so... Brilliant. Well, we won't hold you up too long, but uh, yeah, right. we've had some uh, some uh, excited feedback about this, Carl, haven't we? Yeah, lots of excited people, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> so, well, I think what we're going to do, Phil, we're going to, uh, in, in true This Is Your Life fashion, we're going to go right back to the very start, and uh, you like belong to a... a a massive uh, family of, uh, of, of rugby league and, 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 and sporting people, don't you? Uh, yeah, slightly, yeah. <laughs> Just slightly. So we've no, got... no pressure. No. <laughs> so uh, I think we've got... So we, we've got... Tell us, tell us about that. We've got, uh, we've got Jack, we've got Mick, we've got Tom, we've got Trish. Oh, Trish, all right. So Jack's my dad. He, uh, he ended up representing Queensland and Brisbane. Um, Mick's my cousin, dad's nephew. Uh, he went on to play for um, for Manly in Sydney and represent Australia. Um, Greg, who's my brother, he went on to captain Australia, um, played for, for CS in Brisbane, and then went on to captain Queensland and Brisbane as well. Um, Tom, he's, he's a cousin that ended up uh, playing test cricket for Australia. I think he still holds the record for... Um, most consecutive overs or started the day bowling and finished the day bowling at Old Trafford, Australia versus England. So, Trish, my sister, she was married to Wayne Bennett, who was obviously we all know who Wayne Bennett is, but uh, not no more. But and then uh, I'm pretty sure, well, I do know there's a, there's a number of cousins that have represented in judo, hockey, um, and uh, basketball as well. So, yeah, a lot of them. It's not bad, is it? <laughs> <laughs> So, so there was really no pressure. Uh, absolutely, I think we that we, we're going to do some listeners' questions at the end, Phil. If that's all right, yeah. but um, I think Callum, we're going to add we're going to add one in here straight away, out because of that. Aren't yeah, we? I'll bring one in early because one of them is from Johnny Lou, and he says, "What was it like growing up with a sporty family? Did that competitive environment help shape your game and mentality?" Um. Well, if you ask my brother, he'd just say that I was spoiled because um, you know I just wanted to win everything when I was when I was growing up. So, and realistically, I just think that you know, that's, a, that's an Aussie trait. To be fair, you know, from whenever you start playing the sport, it's all about winning. It's not the taking part. So, uh, that was ingrained into from an early start. Having a, a famous family uh, or guys that had sort of reached the top. Um, as as good as it was, it could also have its downside to it. But yeah, I think it impl really did challenge me and make me work a little bit harder to try and get where I got to. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then I, I want to ask you then because uh, your your club over there in Brisbane is, is South, isn't it? And yeah, uh, I mean, I think 
if you can explain a little bit for us about South to people here, because I don't think that people in the UK, I don't think they understand perhaps the structure of the game in Australia and how how, right. big, how big something like that is. And how would you compare South to to a team here, let's say, in, in England? Well, it's a little bit, you can't really compare it to, to the teams over here because, you know, you go back to, um, I think it was 1987 when the Brisbane Broncos were formed. So prior to 1987, before Brisbane Broncos were were installed into the NRL, um, see, I said the rank that, well, the QRL had the Brisbane competition. Yeah. So the Queensland Rugby League had the Brisbane competition where we had the likes of Redcliffe, Ipswich. Uh, no, Ipswich weren't even in it then, but they are now. Uh, Winner Manly, um, East, North, South, uh, West. Um, so there was a number of teams that played in that competition. And what you got was a lot of the players that were, were any good or were really good from, from the BRL we used to go down to, to Sydney and play down there because it was two separate competitions. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of players that were in that uh, in that Brisbane Rugby League competition that were, were very high quality. Uh, from our side, uh, the likes of um, Gary Belcher, Peter Jackson, Mal Meninga, um, Bobby Lindner. You know, these are all guys that went on to play international rugby league for Australia. The winner Manly, you got Wally Lewis, Gene Miles, uh, Greg Dowling, uh, Greg Kineskew. Again, a number of, of players that. Colin Scott, a lot of guys there that had sort of got on to to represent Queensland and, and also go on to play for Australia. So yeah. it was a pretty tough competition back then as well. Um, after 87, it sort of got a little bit diluted. So they sort of restructured the competition. That the uh, Well, let's say again, go back to prior to 87. They used to have a competition mid-season called the State League. So you'd incorporate the likes of Mackay and Central Capras and um, and Wide Bay and all different areas of the, the state would get involved in a competition. But now all those are in the actual uh, Brisbane Rugby League. They had a few more teams that have actually come into the competition, the likes of Northern Pride and uh, Mackay uh, Cutters. So there's numerous teams that have come in, but it's a really top competition. And I'd probably, it's a standard below um, the NRL. But yeah. still high quality. You know, when the the NRL are playing, if they've got any players that are left over that aren't in the first grade team that weekend, and they're a bit like uh, over here with the dual registration, they they go up to Queensland and they'll, they'll play in the competition up there with the yeah. teams up there. Yeah. Well, like you said, pre NRL there. I mean, the names that you've reeled off there are basically the Kangaroo Touring team from like eighty two, eighty six, and ninety there, aren't they? So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So it wasn't, a, a, you know. You can't couldn't take the competition very lightly as such. It was it was a tough competition. Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously, then the, the, the I think the obviously the thing that makes you uh, most known over here is then uh, you ended up on a on a trip halfway around the world to St Helens, didn't you? Um, accompanying <laughs> yeah. Malmeninga, and I'm sure it's a story you've told a few times. But you know, it, it, for our listeners, if you could just tell us how that how that came about. Well, we're playing as. I'm playing a side over at Davies Park, which is where the home, you know, our home ground was over at South. And um, and the Great Britain Tour were out there. And Ray French was sent over to sign Mal, Mal Meninga and Gary Belcher. And uh, he'd come to the game that day and he was uh, going to get the contract signed. And when he went to Gary Belcher, I just happened to be in the, the company with him. And Ray had said to him, said, oh, are you ready to sign your contract for the, for the next 12 months over, over in the UK? And 
and Gary just said, well, no, not really, because I only want to go for six months. So right. Quickly, Ray made a phone call to John Clegg, who was the chairman of St. Ellen's at the time, and said, well, Gary doesn't really want to come for 12 months. And Ray just said, well, there's a, a young fellow out there that <laughs> actually I was a bit cheeky, really. When he said it to Gary, I said, I'll go for 12 months. <laughs> and uh, So he, uh, he rang John Clegg and said, he, does, he goes, all right, this kid, so do you want us to take a punt on him? And, and that's how it eventuated, really. Yeah. They bet, took a punt on me. I bet you didn't I bet you didn't think you were gonna say, I'll go for forty years. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's a definite. That was only twelve months and back. That was how it was going. I came for twelve months and stayed for forty. Yeah, amazing. And then but within that time, I mean, uh Saints were at that time were and you look at uh, St Helens as a town, you know, a proper sort of like uh, working class mining town if you like. Um, and then uh, yourself and Malcolm, the gates had doubled to about, well, I say doubled, they doubled to about 7,000, which you look at like today and it was nothing, but it, it reinvigorated the town, not just the club, but reinvigorated the town. And within, within oh, what, I think about five or six weeks, you, um, they'd reached the Lancashire Cup final, um, which unfortunately you got uh, you, you got took off injured with that one, didn't you, in, in that first Oh, I got knocked out, yeah, thanks to me old mate, Nicky Kiss. Mm. Oh, do you know what? Nicky Kiss was Callum's coach as a junior, wasn't he? Yeah, was, was he? Saddle with Rangers, yeah. He was uh, yeah. He was a, Yeah, no, he uh Mel put a high kick up, I jumped up, caught the ball, and as I reached out to score, he just come across with his boot and accidentally caught me in the head, I would say, but uh <laughs> knocked me out. So he's a smashing bloke, Nicky, isn't he? He's like, yeah, he's really good with yeah. yeah. But yeah. But I've got to ask I've got to ask you this, Phil. Um you were replaced in that game by Roy Haggerty, mm. who unfortunately is no longer with us. But um, there's all sorts of stories about Roy Haggerty. Have, have you have you got anything you can say about Roy? The <laughs> high. Oh, Roy was a top bloke. I used to go drinking with Roy and good mates. We used to work together on the ground at St. Ellen's as well. And I know um, Roy was an avid Coronation Street fan and... Um, he got picked to play for uh, for England, for Great Britain over in France, and he had to go over into France. It would have been his first time out of the country, and, and just happened to flick him a statement and said, Roy, I said, what are you going to do about Coronation Street? You know, you're going to be away. You're not going to be able to see it. He said, it's all right. He said, the wife's packed me portable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a true story. <laughs> and then, but you, you're right. I mean, and then the end of that season, um, the end of that season, there was uh, uh, a much more glory in the Premiership finally, and a really good win against Hull Car. I was at that game, Callum. I was in the ground for that day. All right, yeah, brilliant. And um, there was uh, that that must have more than made up for uh, uh, the, the Lancashire Cup final in that uh, in that. Yeah, it was great. You know, at the end of the day, myself and Mal only came into the side. There was a lot of homegrown talent within that team. Um, and they're all uh, quality players. There's a lot of tough kids and tough guys in that that, that team as well. Like Chris Arkwright, Paul Round, you know, yeah. all tough guys local around around St. Helens. And then you got a little bit of guile coming out of there from Harry Pinner and Graham Liptrot. You know, Lippy was a um, a really good hooker in the day when when hookers were hookers. They had to strike for the ball and, yeah. and create stuff out of dummy half. So, but Harry, you know. Running around with no teeth and trying to have a conversation was quite funny, but you know, homegrown <laughs> talent and going on to get that result against Tolkar, two intercept tries from Big Mel, Gary Clark being the fastest guy in the in the country at the time, and 
him not gaining a step on him. I think that was just fear that he didn't want to tackle him. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, Harry Pinnam is one of my favourite players. Callum knows that, doesn't he? And he was, mm. uh, uh, but it, it, his skill with the ball was absolutely phenomenal. But yeah, oh, he was. It was a different kettle, a yeah. kettle of fish to a lot of players. You know. Yeah. Harry was one of those players that wasn't a, a spin passer of the ball. It was always just a floaty pass, nice and short, and find you in the right hole, and away you'd go. Yeah, you mentioned about um, you mentioned about about Roy then. You mentioned about like working as a groundsman at Nolton mm. Road at the time. It wasn't just you and Roy. There was a few of you, wasn't there? There was people like Paul Lachlan. Uh, I think Shane Cooper was there. Neil Holding was there, wasn't he at the time? So there must have been <laughs> yeah. there must have been some laughs in that job as well. Uh, yeah, it was just full-on practical jokes all day. And, um, you know, there was the, the head groundsman who used to try and find us and we'd be down the back playing football or playing cricket. Or, <laughs> just not trying to do any work at all, just getting through the day, really. So. But, uh, but, yeah, there was some, some good stories on there. Uh, Lockers was pretty special. <laughs> um, very, very much feared of, of, of mice and, and of rats and... Neil Holding was always the, the, the comical one of the crew. We'd come up with an idea and a plan, and we said, right, so what we'll do, we'll get a dead rat and we'll stuff it inside the coffee jar. <laughs> so we found this dead rat and we put the <clears throat> put it in the coffee jar. And we're out there. It was, I think it was a, bit, a Monday after the game, and we're out on the field just putting divots back and got to morning brew, and we all took turns. It just happened it was Locker's turn to go in and make the brews that morning, and Said, right, I locked. You know, you get 15 minutes early, go and make the coffees and that. So off we trot, trotted over into the the uh, into the, the the kitchen where we were going to have the coffee. And man, Neil just followed him in, and we could watch him. And he filled the kettle up, and he put the cups out, and you could see him sort of staring at this jar, wondering what the heck, heck was in it. And sure enough, the the lid came off, the, the coffee jar flew up in the air, just went everywhere, smashed, and he gave it toes running down the tunnel. <laughs> uh, absolutely scared stiff. This bloody rat coming out of uh, coming out of the coffee jar. Uh, top Brilliant. job. Yeah, Coops, Coops was on there later on. Um, it started off. It was just myself, Roy, and Neil, and then uh, Lockers came on board. And the next minute, uh, Coops was there as well. So it was a good crew. Good, had a good laugh out, out, of, out of everyone. Those oh, with everyone really. I was going to ask you. I was going to come on to that, but I'll ask you now. Seeing as you've mentioned him, Shane Cooper. Um, no, it's special. Uh, just, a, just a, a really special player. Yeah, no, it really was. You know, he was a New Zealand international, obviously, and that was for you know, non-specific reason of how good he was and skillful with the ball. Um, played a lot of the time at, at loose forward, but and a lot of time at six. Probably the slowest six you'll ever find. But he just had this knack just to glide across the field and dummy the ball and end up through the gap. But one of the most uh, knowledgeable people about the game and, and one of the most skillful guys that I've had the pleasure to play with as well. And a top bloke with it as well. I remember don't, I was don't doing... You, I was, don't you have a Shane Cooper story? Shane Cooper story, yeah. I was, I was working in, in the Arndale in Manchester in, in, in a news agent's part-time at the time, just getting some money. And uh, Shane Cooper comes into the Arndale with a, for a can of tango and a, and a ripple. And I was that starstruck. I just give him in for free. I was like, you're Shane Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he, was a bit of, he was a bit of a comic on the field as well. He used to wind a few people up. He, ended up got, he got sin bin for not even touching a player once. How did, he manage, how did he manage that? Because what happened, uh, I'm not sure who it was. I think it might have been against Witness. 
and they kicked the ball into touch. They got a penalty and kicked the ball into touch, and the ball had bounced back into the field of play. So what Shane did, he picked the ball up and stuck it up his jersey. And then as soon as they tapped the ball, he threw the second ball into the middle of the ruck just to confuse everyone. The ref got the hump with him and put him in the bin. Uh, uh, he was funny, dude. Well, we're going to go back a little bit because we're on nine. We're around about nineteen eighty-seven now, and you were that you were that important to Saints at that time, Phil. That you you only missed two matches during the whole season, and Saints lost them both. Yeah, it was fair. We played forty-five games that year. Yeah, forty-five games, and I think it was, and I played forty-three. I think is that right? Or was it forty-one yeah. and forty-three, something like that? Yeah. That's right, and I think there's a, there's a couple of games I want to just touch on, if that's all right. In there, it's um, mm-hmm. one was uh, uh, we'll we'll get the bad one over first. One was the one was the Challenge Cup final. Where oh, Saints, someone's got to mention that, haven't they? Oh, I know. And, and Saints had gone in like massive favourites, hadn't they, against Halifax? And uh, it just yeah. didn't turn out that way, did it? No, we didn't turn up in the first half. You know, we uh, we weren't playing the same style of footy that we'd normally played, and yeah, Halifax got into a pretty commanding lead in that first half. I think it was thirteen nil, and yeah, uh, by half time, and um, we really had to do something in the second half. And you can go back and look at a few videos now, and there's a couple of dubious ones in there. But I, as I say, by paper, the results in the paper. So, but but we didn't show up, and then in the second half, we just started playing some really good footy uh, to the point where. I think you know, Mark Ely was, was absolutely special. He had, he had a bad hamstring prior to the game and the try that he scored where he went the length of the field and went around Graham Eady was quite special, mm. especially with his, his thigh quite heavily strapped. But um, that was one. And and we had the chance to win it in the, in the dying minutes, um, which uh, I can still relive it now. And Chris Arkwright passing the ball to me, me tapping it over the top to, to Mark Ely and him having the winger outside. And he's gone into... To score, he's dove in to score. Would have been the first player to score a hat-trick at Wembley. And uh, the legendary tackle from John Pendlebury coming from nowhere to yeah. punch the ball out of his arms. Yeah. It's, um, and uh, it was gone. Game gone, 1918. Yeah, and that was probably the, the, the probably the biggest chance because the other two results, the other two finals that you were in, probably that was probably the best chance to, to get a winner's medal, I think, as well, wasn't it? Yeah, but maybe. I thought, you know, the third one we were in as well, I thought that was quite special. I had, had a part to play in that a part to play in that as well, getting knocked out and losing the ball and Dave Meyer scoring off the back of that. So Yeah, that was coming the, up that just was the, short. And, yeah, that was the thirteen eight game, wasn't it? That was nine yeah, one, it was. wasn't it? Yeah. I, I always skip over the other one. Uh, yeah, it was just, I just skip is, over that there one. Is, yeah. There is a there is a question. In fact, there is a question about that. Uh, we'll, oh, yeah. we'll do that. We'll do that later on. Kawa oh, finds yeah. it. There is a question about that one. Um, and then the other game. Let, let's let's go on a positive. Eighty seven. Um, and I think I've read somewhere about this being one of your favourite games, and that was the Boxing Day game where where yeah it was yeah, yeah twenty twenty two six twenty two six down at half time yep. against Wigan at Central Park. Um, mm. But thirty-two twenty-two, and I think in that game, I think I'm right in saying, Phil, that you ended up with an eight-point try, didn't you? In that one, I did straight after half time. It was, uh, yeah, we were, we were losing quite heavily, twenty-two-six, um, and I've gone over for a try, and Graham West came over and sort of led with his uh, forearm across the as I as I scored the try as I stood up and caught me. So as you do, you play the dying swan as if you've been shot, 
Uh, uh, Andy Platt diving, diving on top of me, going, you're all right. Me, weak Canadian, saying, yeah, that's good, don't worry. <laughs> uh, and then the referee gives the eight-point try. Brilliant. Was that, uh, would you say that was one of your favourite games in a Saints shirt? Yeah, it was, it was you know, to, to go to Central Park. It's always tough to go to Central Park and Wigan being Wigan as they were. You know, any player that was on the market, Wigan used to buy them so that no one else could get them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, you know, to go there and, and turn them over, they pretty much had a full-strength side that day as well. Um, it's one of my favourites, yeah. I do remember another game, you know, with that, and I don't know whether you were involved in this, Phil, because my memory's a bit hazy on it, but I remember it being a floodlit game at Central Park, and Saints were winning, and they turned the floodlights off. Oh, no, I wasn't there were you that not, I do remember that one. No. But... <laughs> Uh, well, well if I was, I can't remember it. Put it that way. Well, it was dark, wasn't it? So. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's the one. Sleep time then, isn't it? Yeah. And then, and then there was a um, uh, there was another trophy in the offing, um, eighty eight, and that was a, that was a, a, a brilliant game, if I remember rightly. But John, the uh, John Player Trophy game, uh, the fifteen yeah. fourteen game, that was at Central Park as well, I think, against Leeds. Yeah, it was in the mud. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, it was a good game. Uh, I remember that day, Neil Holden having a blinder and Paul Lachlan um, scoring a lot of points for us that day as well. Um, I think Neil got the man of the match for that gig for kicking the field goal or something. Yeah. I, so, but yeah, it was a good game. It was up against you know, one of my best mates, Peter Jackson, who's not with us now, but um, it was good to get one over on him. I, I remember it. Must I mean it must be it must be different now as well, obviously because. Um, the amount of games that you played in a season, I mean, the amount of cup competitions as well. I mean, as well as Challenge Cup, we had John Players, or we had we had uh, uh, we had playoffs at the end of the season. Uh, we had the County Cups and things like that. I mean, there was there was, there was games. You were probably playing twice a week then, weren't you? Yeah, there was. Well, there was the, the Lancashire Cup, the Challenge Cup, and the John Player, which were quite, and and then obviously the Premiership. So there's four knockout competitions, then, and then there's obviously the league. Mm. So you're playing for five cups during the league, during the season. Yeah, um, there's a lot of games. You know that that was probably the most I've ever played in, in a year. Well, it was that's for sure. That, when I played the 40, what, 43, was it or forty one? Yeah. Um, but I do remember um, one year we can end up playing fifty, might have been fifty eight games in the season or something like that because I just kept getting to every final as well. Yeah, yeah. Did so you know when you talk about player welfare back then, it wasn't wasn't really even talked about as such and, and the players who didn't complain they just wanted to play that was a big thing yeah I mean if you ask any player of any sport I mean people would rather play matches than train wouldn't they so 100% 100% but it gets a bit much when you're playing every two days that's yeah. what we're going to have to do that, that year um, just to get the season finished yeah I'm going to say especially when you get to sort of like April and May and stuff you're playing yeah you, you can be playing three and four times a week can't you at that point yeah yeah, yeah yeah so really test your metal yeah so brilliant. So Callum, Callum's got a few. Callum's got a few things now about. Um, uh, well, you're going to start about utility stuff, aren't you? Yeah. So obviously, the utility player is a phrase that gets uh, thrown around quite a lot today, isn't it? But I think you were the uh, ultimate utility player, Phil. You put, I think you played fullback, centre, standoff, second row, loose forward. I mean, is there anything that we're missing there? <laughs> yeah, I played every position at Saints at some point. Yeah, I did. Played on the wing, off the bench. I played it uh, in the front row as well. So that was quite humorous. Played at hooker. Um, so yeah, seven six. Played uh, them all. Is Went that, straight is, through. Is that just because the coaches could 
trust you to, to do a job wherever they put you. Yeah, but was, the thing with it was it depended on where the coach thought he was going to play me in the year because I used to fluctuate my weight to for that position. Mm. So, you know, moving from when I started at fullback, I was quite light when I went to started at fullback, moved up to the centre, so I had to put a bit of weight on for that, which I could carry into seven and six. I could use that weight there, but as soon as I moved into the pack, then I had to, again, sort of nearly put a stone on in an off-season, if not more, um, just to sort of try and be able to compete in the middle of the pack. So, but yeah, coach had a had confidence in me that I could I could play every role. I seemed to have a a broad knowledge of, of rugby league back then as to where and when and what the player had to do to be in that role. So, so it was it was good to have the tag in the end. Um, at the beginning, I was quite happy with playing and at fullback. And um, but when you get uh, the back end of your career, being a utility sort of really does assist you in the sense that, you, you know, you refer a chance every week of being, being picked. If it's not in the team, it's definitely on the bench. Mm. Well, just um, after St. Helens, then, you went to Huddersfield. Uh, well, mm. just, just, that, it was, this, it was in 96. Yeah, so start, it started start this. full-time. Yeah, start, really, so what, yeah. Was the trans, what was the transition like going from part-time to full-time? Yeah, it was quite... It was funny, really, because we were going into the 96 Challenge Cup and I'd sort of played every round leading up to the Challenge Cup. And I remember Bobby Goulding coming downstairs one day when we were in training. He said, Phil, he said, I'd, I'd pack up and move on and go to go to another club because you're not going to get another game here. Wow. I said, where's that come from? And he said, well, I've had a conversation with, with uh, Sean McRae and the board's told him that not to pick me because Sean used to pick me every week as a utility on the bench so, mm. um, so I just thought to myself I'll hang around and wait for the Challenge Cup you know, if they get injuries they might be able to use me or whatever so I ended up being 18th man that day and I had a bit of taste in my mouth from, from that conversation so I remember Daryl Vanderbilt coming down and uh, at Wembley and we had a conversation and I signed that day after the game to, um, to play for, for Huddersfield and Going from part-time to full-time, it wasn't really a, a, a big changeover for me, really, because uh, when I first came over, so I think for the first five years, I was full-time anyway. Mm. I didn't have a job, so I was basically full-time, and then I wouldn't class working on the ground as a as being too taxing as a job. <laughs> and just to get rid of that, to go into full-time over, over at Huddersfield was, was quite seamless, really. Yeah, yeah. And then... And then at this time as well, you also became an international, didn't you? And you, you played for, I did. for Scotland. I did. I did. How, how did that? How did that come? How did you manage the um, uh, the, the qualification, if you like, to play for Scotland? What was the uh, uh, what was the uh, the reason? Uh, a lot of people say it's just because I ate a haggis, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but no, the, the reason I was I was able was because my grandfather's Scottish, right. Uh, he emigrated to Australia. Well, his our family emigrated to Australia when he was three. So I basically had a from the family tree side of thing. I was one generation away, so the, that's how I, I got into play. And 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 he set two tries up in that game. Yes, I did. Yes, <laughs> and we lost. Yeah, I know. I've I've got it here in front of me. Twenty-two twenty. Uh, yeah, despite despite being in front as well. Thierry Elabert was the, the, the referee. Oh, was he? And, uh, no wonder they, lost. <laughs> oh, don't, don't listen to me. Well, you know why we lost. And then, so France were on the attack and they dropped the ball and knocked on. And we picked it up and we knocked on. 
and they picked it up and ran in and scored. And the touch judge, he was waving it as a knock-on, and Tierra Alabaz just run behind the line and just give the try. Oh, no. Can't change it. Oh, no. So I'm saying to him, I said, what are you doing? End of the game, said the same thing. And I, I remember someone saying to me that he was sat inside the change room, saying, that's the end of my refereeing career. I said, it was if I got hold of him, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so that's what happened there. So Brilliant. And then... Yeah, and then you went on to... Well, Callum, we're going to ask you about Bradford Bulls, aren't you? Yeah, you coaching. had... Um, you, you moved on to the coaching thing. Just before we jump in, was, was coaching always part of your plan? Is it always something that you had an interest in doing after finishing playing? Um, at the time, you don't you don't realise what you're going you know, I used to always uh, collect or, or jot down if we did any good drills or anything like that. I'd always put them in a book and um, just in case, but... When I was at Huddersfield, it was, it was sort of a bit of a shock because that's where I started my coaching career at Huddersfield. Mm. Um, we'd sort of won the grand final in 1997 um, at Old Trafford. I was captain at the time. And um, and then in the off-season, I just got this phone call saying, can you come over? We need to have a discussion with you over at Huddersfield. So I went over and they said, well, we're offering you the job of um, assistant player coach. Oh, wow. I said, well, what's happened to Steve? We said, oh, well, we've got rid of Steve Ferris. I thought it was a bit harsh at the time because, you know, the guy just won a grand final and yeah. got him into Super League. Um, but then they said, well, Gary Schofield's been named head coach, uh, head player coach, uh, player coach. And I said, all right, okay. So I wasn't wasn't really feeling it. You know, I thought it was a bit early for, for me to, to jump into that role, but I took it. Um, so I was doing a lot of, a lot of the coaching myself um, with Gary. And then they sacked Gary and I was told to retire and just take up the head coach's role to the end of the year. And then I had a couple of good coaches come in. Um, so it was, I had Mel Riley came in the following year. Um, they'd, they'd signed him up from Newcastle. He'd come over to take the, the head coach's role. And I was his assistant. So I picked up a lot of information off Mel. And, and then the clubs merged. Uh, Huddersfield and Sheffield merged together. So... That was when there was going to be a cull of coaches, so they had to decide who was staying, who was going. And they got rid of um, Mal, kept me as an assistant, put John Keir in charge. Um, and then John Keir got the sack, and I was left to take over as interim head coach again. This time I had um, Jeff Hardy, as me, who was working with me. He was playing, and he was a player in the group, Aussie guy. Um, and then after that, they gave the job to Tony Smith, and I suppose it was... Tony that said that I I really need oh well we spoke about being his assistant and then uh, had a meeting with him on a Monday morning and he just said listen uh, you really need to go and find another club because I've got someone for your job you know I don't think I think you need to be a head coach somewhere else right. and I didn't think that because I think I needed to do my apprenticeship as a as an assistant coach before I even wanted to go into to coaching but as you said I was sort of out of the game for a couple of years then um, and I was delivering NVQs in um, in sport and happened to be delivering to the Bradford Juniors. Okay. And Brian Noble just came out one day. It was obviously my ex-teammate Bernard Dwyer was on the on the coaching staff over there, and they just lost um, Carl Harrison. He'd gone across you know, coaching at Salford, and Daryl Shelford, he was, he was firing off back to New Zealand. He was one of the assistants there, and... He just came over and said, listen, he said, do you want to be the assistant with us? 
And that's how it turned around. I'd binned off two jobs straight away. In two minutes, I'm back where I wanted to be. <laughs> and, and then so you, had a, you had a seven-year partnership then with Brian Noble, didn't you? With, uh, yeah. And winning, yeah. Winning everything. Winning everything, yeah. yeah. And a host of mm. trophies with him. No, we did, yeah. Great time. Three and a half years at Bradford where we ended up with two grand finals and um, two World Club challenges. Uh and a Challenge Cup as well. So, yeah, we won every league leader shield. I think we won the treble in our first year in 2003. Mm. Yeah, that was So then awesome he took me over to Wigan. Oh, yeah. I, I can remember walking into um, the local Labour club with a, where I used to drink with my mates. And I said, if there's anyone here that wants to bet, I said, go and bet on Bradford to win the treble this year. And none of them did. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get it. You can't get it any straight from the horse's mouth than that. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, you were blessed. I mean, on that Bradford side, Phil, you, you know, you were blessed with yeah. some absolute sparkling talent, weren't you? Well, there's some monsters in the side as well, you know. Yeah, with Paul Anderson, Stu Field, and Jamie Peacock, uh, Russell, uh, Daniel Gartner, yeah. uh, Mike Forshaw, Deeks. Oh, the list goes on. Robbie, Robbie Paul. Leon Price, then you had the two giants on the wings. Yeah. In Vicona and and um and, uh, and Vin- um Vinicola. Vinicola, yeah, 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 the volcano. Yeah, yeah. And a couple of classy centers, Scott Naylor and Shantane Harpe and Mick Withers at the back. Yeah. I think that's a, pretty Jimmy Lowe's in the middle as well, so Yeah, I mean what a partnership that was with Happy and Vinicola, wasn't it? It was uh, what? And and the and the pack had their own they had their own branding, didn't they? The awesome foursome, didn't they? They had their oh, own they did, uh, yeah. They had their own they branding, did. yeah. Lee Radford was in there as well, so yeah. there were some quality players in there. I was the backs coach, and I used to enjoy it because I used to have Leslie and Tavita, and it just used to be a competition about who who wanted to make the most carries. Really, uh, every every week they'd be set goals on how many how many carries in a game and how many how many meters it'd look like if they got those carries, and then it'd be just a competition. They'd just be trying to outdo each other. Yeah, and if, if if one didn't do that. Uh, do the number that I'd set them. They'd come up, apologise, say it's one I owe you next week, coach. <laughs> next week they'd go out and put another three on top. Wow, that's brilliant. And then, and then um, after uh, a bit later on, then you ended at Salford. You ended up linking up with Sean McRae again, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. I sort of had been at, at, at Wigan for three and a half years, and they were going in a different direction. Two thousand, well, it was the end of two thousand and nine. So, and so that's when they brought in Michael Maguire and. Again, we'd had a conversation, myself and Michael, about whether I was going to be on board and he wanted to go in a different direction. Right. Um, and I ended up sort of sitting out for a little bit and then I just applied. They were, they were after uh, an assistant down there, applied for it and had a meeting with the board of directors and I was back there working with Sean again. Mm. And then and then you, you ended up uh, as head coach then at Salford, didn't you? Um, for a, well, probably about 18 months or so. And then... And then the doctor, the good doctor, came in, didn't he? Um, and within, oh, yeah. within five weeks, um, everything's changed. And not just yourself, but I think at that time he'd made sort of wholesale changes. And uh, you'd, I mean, you'd seen the club through a really, a really difficult position through administration. You'd, I think you'd lost about, I think it was fourteen, fifteen players that you'd lost. And yeah, uh, I mean, that must have been a really traumatic time as well. Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. That was. Uh... Uh, I, I had to struggle with my mental health on a couple of occasions. You know, mm. was one was that was after uh, after losing the job at Wigan. That sort of uh, I had that for a long period of time. But 
at the time you just don't know you just kick on you think oh, i'll just get on with it you know, stop being soft and um didn't do nothing about it I, I do know now that i was going through a bit of a depression back then and yeah. obviously after everything went through it at sulfur with everything going down there and him getting rid of me there that sort of really did affect me then so really impacted upon the mindset and um and my mental health it was really struggling i was str- suffering with depression quite badly for for quite a bit of time then um so it was a traumatic time in the sense of you know how many players i think it started the year before they got rid of maddie smith before the end of the season um i tried to keep joel joel moon um He'd agreed that he was going to stay with me, and the next minute he said he was homesick and he was going home. And I think there was a, a statement I put out about Joel. So I didn't realise Leeds was uh, was um, as close to Brisbane as what Sulphur's was. <laughs> it's a classic. Huh? Yeah. It was a classic. I do remember that it's quote. It was a classic quote. Yeah. yeah. So threw that out. So, um, but <laughs> you know, I, I had a good relationship with with uh, with Joel with Puppy. Even when he was at Leeds, I, I started doing a bit of commentating as well. So, and I did the Challenge Cup final, so we sort of celebrated that together a bit. So, but, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a traumatic time after the Salford, so it did affect, yeah. Yeah. Is that you, – you, I mean, you, you speak openly about the, the depression and stuff there, Phil. Is that mm. Was that a leading factor into the, you know, the, the role that you do now and now you got involved with that? Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, to be fair, I, I, I sort of when I when I had the depression, I did get to the state where I was uh, on the verge of um, taking my own life. So I, I had the thoughts, I had the plans, and everything. And eventually, I came around I, with the help of my wife and and um, uh, my relatives and that that sort of helped me out through that. And right. I was asked to do a talk on um, the stresses of moving country back in 2013 to a group in Lancaster University for State of Mind. And, so I ended up, I did that, uh, did the talk and um, I didn't realise I'd sort of opened a can of worms and had a bit of a story to tell and I've been doing that ever since, working with State of Mind Charity. And how how do you find that? Is that something that you're really passionate about now? And uh, I'm you... very, very passionate about mental health. I really am. Um, you know, I, I sort of, um, as I said, I've been doing it for, for well, nine on ten and a half years now, so... Um, really passionate about it. You know, I probably don't even miss coaching anymore. I, I would, if a job came up, I'd probably turn it down now, really, right. yeah. uh, because I just moved on and I just get so much enjoyment out of what we do. Because oh, fantastic, best job in the world, saving lives. Yeah, absolutely, it's fantastic. I think it's really admirable, and, and it's, it's brilliant that you found something that uh, you know that's um, that, that you're so passionate about. And it's yeah. not just and it's not just rugby league, is it that you that you talk to? No, no, no. We do a lot of work in uh, in construction at the moment. We do do a lot with police. A lot, a lot of commercial enterprises, really, that uh, are just trying to educate the staff and give them a little bit of know-how on how to deal with signs and symptoms and coping strategies and yeah. if they are struggling and what to do. So uh, we do we go around delivering mental health awareness sessions, but also deliver mental health first aid courses as well, um, which yeah. is quite good. Yeah. And then, as a I, myself and Danny Sculpop have a company together as well, okay. which is uh, as well-being coaches. Yeah, um, and we generally go into companies and do one-on-one sessions if somebody's struggling, and yeah, sort of give them enough information where they can sort of go and get some assistance. Yeah, if anyone's if anyone's listening to this now, 
that yeah. that is struggling a little bit with their own mental health and their situation. Mm. What what advice what advice would you give them as a you know as a starting point? Well, the starting point is offload offload what's going on in your head. You know, I remember me if I hadn't spoken to my wife, my sister, my father in law, my brother in law. Uh, at the end of the day, it'd be another statistic. Um, so, offloading what you got going around in your head, no matter how small, how big, it really does save lives. You know, talking, talking's free. So why be worried about talking? Um, just get things off your chest. Speak to someone. It really does help. It really does halve the burden of such that you're carrying, but it also puts you on the the road to recovery, where you, know, you can get some assistance and. And your mental health then becomes good again. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. No, thanks, Phil. Um, no worries. We'll, get, we'll come back, we'll just come back to that to, to finish off with, yep. uh, that role and everything. But I think we, we, if it's okay with you, we're just going to go into some uh, listeners' questions. Um, yeah. I've, I've got one of my own. I've got one of my own first. I've got one to start, one to finish. But um, I, rem- I was, uh, uh, I, I remember in 2013, I was working with, uh, I was working with the World Cup, um, and I was being, uh, I was hosting Samoa, and I think if I think I remember at the time, I think you came in and did some analysis. I think with Samoa, I think with Matt. Parrish yeah, I did. And, yeah. Now before that, they, they were based, as you know, they were based at Warrington uh, at yes. the time. Do <laughs> you know what's coming up? <laughs> I do. Now before that, right? <laughs> the, <laughs> so before that, you were you were coaching the Exiles, weren't you? I was, yes. And there was all this. The hotel manager informed me that the reason that the Exiles. Um, Games finished was because um, there was, shall we say, there was a bit of over exuberance with the Exiles teams in the hotel. Uh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> if you mean playing temping bowling with uh, with beer bottles in the car park, <laughs> maybe, or it might be that seven of them got stuck in a lift. <laughs> With mattresses? Were they going to be? <laughs> no, I don't think there's mattresses in there. No, no, no. There were seven, seven guys in there and one was claustrophobic. And was I... They couldn't open the door, so <laughs> next minute there was caught between two floors and my door was right beside it and I opened the door to see what happened. Next minute I just saw all these little rats crawling out the doors and running off in all directions. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a... I still got the video of it. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite humorous. Uh, oh, thank, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it was. That's not why the Exiles were cancelled. They ended up. They got free tickets, balls, jerseys, everything. Yeah, <laughs> no, no one else would have got that. No, that's true. No, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Callum, you've got some from. Uh, uh, we've had some sent in, haven't we? From uh, uh, we've had some from Gray, from Brendan, uh, from Johnny, from Steve Orford, haven't we? We've got a, a few questions coming up from those people. Yes, we have. Uh, so the first one I've got is: as a member of the St. Helens Eighties Entertainers, do you think that this Saints side, the current Saints side, and the game in general is too conservative? It's a tough one, isn't it? When I'm on the match review. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for the next question. But um, 
do I think it's too conservative? I think you, you're talking about two different eras, to be fair. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the game's moved on from, from the 80s as such. It's, uh, you know, your, your bodies are a lot bigger than what they were in the 80s. They're a lot fitter. They're full-time. They're throwing a lot of weights around. Uh, there's a lot more structure in the game than there is now. Uh, there's a lot more structure in the game now than there was back then. Back then, we used to play off the cuff a lot of the time, just play as you see. Um, a lot of sides now tend to be too structured and, and sticking to, to regimen rather than to to let the ball create a lot of space. And then back then as well, you had ball playing props. Mm. So, you, know, you had some good front rowers that were offloading all the time. And again, now I think there's a little bit of fear factor about making an error. So yeah, I, I always say to people, yeah, when, when Great Britain were beating Australia, Australia couldn't cope with second phase ball. So they used to have all these ball playing props. They used to get a lot of offloads across, and 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 they couldn't cope with it. But again, the English game's gone copying how the Australians played, and it doesn't necessarily work that way for me. Mm. Well, just just a kind of a follow up question on on that. Then he um, says, uh, supplementary to the last one, would you have preferred us? Sorry, this is us as in Saints. Saints yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll just read it as he's, he wrote it. Uh, so would you have preferred Saints to have been more conservative in the 80s? Do you think that would have helped you win more or was it just because Wigan and Widness for a short time could have okay, could always spend more than Saints? I'd say it's a lot. Uh, the, 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 the secondary, really, I think it's just purely and simply is that Wigan and Widness had a lot more money than what Saints did. That the because I can remember a day that um, Saints went for Andy Goodway from Oldham over at Oldham, and they'd offered an agreed terms with Andy Goodway, and Wigan had got wind of it and wind of it, and next minute Morris Lindsay had sort of intercepted the uh, the movement, and next minute Andy Goodway had signed for for uh, for Wigan. So mm. I think it was more about finance than, than anything else. You know, you look at the likes of Gary Connolly leaving Saints to go to Wigan. You know what Saints offered him to what Wigan. It, Wigan had offered him double money to what Saints had offered him. Rugby league careers are a short one. And Gary came to me. I remember Gary coming to me, and he was Saints through and through, Gaz. And he just said, um, he said, what do I do? I said, go. I said, you've got a short career out of you, lad. You need to make as much coin as you can because you're still going to have to work when you finish, but make the coin while you can. Mm. It's a short, short career. Yeah, and that was the reason why a lot of the time to, to – the other part of the question, would you want like to win more trophies? I think everyone would have liked to win more trophies. Yeah. But the point being is, did I want to enjoy my footy? Of course I did. And the style that we played at Saints was enjoyable. And everyone that played the game for Saints that time really enjoyed playing that style of footy and entertaining. Yeah. So I wouldn't go back, no. Brilliant. Um, okay, next question I've yeah, got it's then. It's a similar one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's on the, the sort of... Um, changing of, of play. Um, do you celebrate or lament the changing role of the fullback? Um, he says, because you were a good attacking player, but played at one because defensively you were excellent. And a lot of players who play fullback now are not as good defensively, uh, but it's deemed to be no problem. Do you think that is a good or a bad thing? Yeah. Um... I prided myself on my defence. Uh, that was the strongest part of my game. Yeah. Either that or taking the high ball. But um, so I used to pride myself on that. But this day and age, you know, you can't get away from speed, can you? No. No. You know, speed kills, and the majority of fullbacks now have got plenty of speed to burn. 
Um, and you got to look at Jai Field over at Wigan. You know, Jack at Saints, he's, he's, he's not a no slouch either. No. Uh, but uh, all around the all around the clubs, all your fullbacks have got speed. Um, Defence, you know, I, I'd love to have a, a grounded fullback myself personally. Someone who's who's got all the attributes, you know, mm. that can catch the high ball, that is very good defensively, but also are good as, as an attacking weapon. Yeah. Because um, at the end of the day, your one is just another six. Yeah. And that's that's how it was beforehand as well. Even though I was a defensive fullback. I played the role as as a, as a receiver on many occasions. So, again, you're looking at your spine and one, six, and seven are part and parcel of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I'll get the um, I'll get the bad one out of the way. Phil um, <laughs> says <laughs> uh, in uh, in '89 with the Saints squad happy to have Vaughan and O'Connor back for the cup final, or was there any bitterness that they came back in after going home and missing the semi final? Um, there was no bitterness. bitterness. Um, I think there was a feeling amongst all the players that you know, Fatty had come over and had really set his mark. He'd had a go. Mm. They really dug in, and a lot of people thought that Michael O'Connor had come for a holiday. Yeah. But, you know, when you walk on that field, you don't go out there to play bad or anything like that. It's just that, obviously, with Michael, it just didn't click for him. Um, with, with, with Paul, he came in and he had a dig for them to come back and, Obviously, go into the side. At the end of the day, it's a coach's decision that, um, and you've just got to get on. And you're a professional player at that point of time, so you you all want the same thing. You want to get the results. So, mm. As for bitterness, I wouldn't say there was any bitterness because we all got on. We we're a good family. Yeah. Um, but I think there was a couple of guys who were pretty upset that they didn't get the gig. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, the next one we've got is uh, you played in the era where Saints were always on the verge but never became the number one side. The 84 mm. Lanks Cup final and the 88 uh, John Players final were days where it seemed like a corner was being turned, but in hindsight, it was years away. Is there any regret that you played your best years in the immediate era before Saints became the team? I don't do regrets. That's for for a start. I never regret anything that I've done. Um, I've never regret anything that I've been a part of because at the end of the day, you're making those decisions for the right reasons then. Um, what I will say about that is that, yeah, we were, a lot of the times we're classed as the nearly men. Um, but I think there's a process you have to go through. You go back to 1984 when prior to 84, there was a barren spell from Saints. They weren't winning any trophies. They come up short. Yeah. And bringing Mal over was a big, big impact upon that the following year. Um, and that's what – it wasn't me that put the numbers on the seats, I'll tell you that for a fact. It was more Mal. Um, but I was privileged that I stayed here and I was part of the process where they got to 96. I was still part of it then when we got to 96. Um, so it was a building building blocks. It was putting foundations in place, you know, for the success of the club and where they were going to go in the future. Uh, I look back on that with some pride in mm. the sense that you know I played a part in where they are today in a sense. So, you know, as, as strong as they've got now, the, the guys that have gone before, they wore the, wore the red V for a reason. They aren't, they were just visitors in the shirt. They were just holding on to it for the next guy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, Okie doke. Next one. Um, who's the best player you've played with um, and who's the best 
player or most challenging player that you played against? <laughs> yes, well, you know, I always throw Mal out there. Mel, Mel was one of the most gifted players I've ever had the, ability, the the pleasure to play with, you know, in the sense of he had everything. You know, he had speed, he had size, he could tackle, mm. uh, he had skill, he had soft hands where he could put his winger away. He had yeah. a big boot on him. He had a bit of a sidestep on him as well. Mm. Um, had the turning circle of the Queen Mary in mind, but, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he was, he was, he was, a, he was up there. On the, from an English point of view, you know, Harry Pinner was pretty special with the ball. From a Kiwi point of view, you learn to look at Coops, you know, who I played with, um, was, was, were quality players. From the opposition, Ellery was always, a, he was a nemesis of mine. Uh, he's just, he's the only player that I know that could run just as fast sideways as he could forwards. <laughs> um, and then you've got your sheer speed. Yeah, Martin Afire skinned me once. And then Desi Drummond, he used his head twice to knock me off a couple of times. So they were tough, tough competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would probably say Ellery. Yeah. Ellery was a, he was a, probably the best English player. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, last one. And, and to be honest, it's 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 more of a comment <laughs> than a question. Um, um, where did you flow in lock? <laughs> 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 And and uh, this is from Brendan, is, yeah. uh, and his wife Karen still has your picture in the loft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With long hair. Yeah, 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 exactly that. Yeah, I don't, that's, I don't that's, think there's a real answer right. to that, Phil. Is there? <laughs> uh, I can tell you. Listen, whatever you do, don't get a perm. Yeah. <laughs> That's this is what happens to you. It all falls out. And you go bald. Well, I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to just to finish us off. I've got, I've, I've just got a couple. It's like you've mentioned about the MRP there. Despite all the, the stick it gets, do, do you enjoy being a part of that process? Yeah, I do. It's you know at the end of the day, we're, we're there to do a job. We're given rules to follow, um, and you know we just need to probably educate everybody out there as to, to where where they get for the decisions that are made and. And how well uh, one B is different to the next B. So if you get a grade B, if somebody's if somebody's got a poor record, then they'll get more games than somebody who's got a clean record. You know, so it's just it's simple that way. But I do enjoy it to a certain degree. But, you know, at the moment, business is picking up. I'm starting to get pretty busy with what I'm doing. Yeah. But, mm. um, so I don't know how long that, that that'll last. That I can well stay in the, in that uh, that position. Okay. Well, I've, I've got I've got one comment and one question. So uh, the comment uh, is from Gray, who sent one of, the, one of the questions in, who said, this is before I asked him, to, did he have a question for you? And he said, you're not going to believe this. He says, I'm walking with my two-year-old Labrador, he said, on the North Wales beach. He said, I've thrown a ball up. He said, just before you text, I've thrown a ball up, he said, and the, lab- the two-year-old Labrador has caught it over his shoulder. And in the middle of the beach, I've shouted, Vivers, Vivers. <laughs> <laughs> That was special days. That yeah, I must admit, down that popular side, listen to them say that. I bet. And I've got, and I've got, I've got to ask you one more question. As the banner went, Phil, is there any truth in the fact that you've been under more balls than Joan Collins? One hundred percent. Joan will be devastated. <laughs> no, I think I've still got that uh, that banner. Actually, have you? 
I think I still got that. Yeah, I was given it. I remember my mum and dad having a photo took underneath it. They're <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 up Wembley Way. They were walking up Wembley Way and they saw it and they had a photo took under that. Brilliant. I'm glad, do you know what? I'm, I'm so glad you've got that banner. It was amazing. It was, oh, yeah. it was a staple at games for years. It was brilliant. <laughs> oh, it was great. It was so, great. Being under more balls than Jane Collins. That was it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. So, there was a there was a couple going around. I can't even remember the other one. The other one was quite funny as well. Uh, oh, it'll come to me. Memory's gone blank. Okay. Well, listen, mate. That, honestly, mate, it's been absolute pleasure this morning, hasn't it, Colin? Yeah. That uh, and some of the stories are just, just brilliant. Just blowing my mind that this morning. And I, and I can't tell you how much we appreciate your time for for doing that's all right, mate. for us. No worries. Um, so just to finish off, just to finish off, Phil. Um, people want to if people want to get in touch with you with the company that you've got with Danny with the state of mind anything like that how do, how do people get hold of you um, well you can email me straight away. like I got an email pjvivo at live.co.uk so it's pjvevo yep. at live.co.uk um, or they can get me on 077 555 and um, we can work, work it from there I just remembered that other banner too. Oh, go on. Oh, yeah. Vivas are safer than a condom. <laughs> that, that was the other one. <laughs> what a way to finish. Uh, really, mate. So, if, if people, if you're listening and uh, and you want to get in touch with Phil, please feel free. And I'm sure you've heard this morning, and you're thinking, "Yeah, that's something for me." Uh, you've listened to all the entertaining stories. You've listened to to, to Phil's own personal struggles. Uh, you've listened to what he does now, and I'm sure it's an absolutely inspirational story for anyone that's listening, Callum. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I've just sat here and listened for them and most of their boys. You know. Yeah. It's been brilliant, and it's just flown by. So thank you, Phil, for, yeah. for joining no us. No worries. Brilliant. No worries. It's um, a strength yeah. to talk, just remember that. Yeah, thanks, Phil. And that's the message that we'll put out on the uh, on this pod. Sound. Brilliant, brilliant, boys. Thanks, Phil. No worries. Thank thanks you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, right, well, uh, that was a, a pretty special hour, wasn't it? So... Um, We'll be back next week. Uh, thanks for, for listening to us. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, to go through our regular pod. But yeah. uh, We'll be as good as this. No, no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, until then, it's goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.